You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. Good morning, friends. Hi there, my name is Kyle Driggers. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Creekside, and I'm excited today that we get to dig in to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a great passage of scripture that reminds us of the foundation that we have in the gospel um, and how sweet the gospel is. In 2002, Millennium Partners, which is a development company in San Francisco, came up with the idea for a new development. With 163 condos, 108 rentals, and 136 units of extended stay, this single building would put a huge dent in the San Francisco housing crisis. It would be the tallest residential building in the western half of the United States. Take that, LA, right? We, this, this gleaming building, the Millennium Tower, maybe some of you have heard of it. Why are you groaning? You see, there was a similar building at the time that was proposed, and under peer review, this building was said to have some major structural issues, and so they decided not to do it. But the Millennium Tower in San Francisco, they decided that they would push on without a peer review. And in 2013, the final unit was sold, which is unfortunate because in 2015, the building started, the building started sinking and leaning. First six inches, then 18 inches, then 28 inches. In, 28, uh, in 2018, people reported a creaking sound, uh, which wasn't very good. Then later, a loud popping, and then panes of glass started falling off of the building, which is, which is unfortunate when you live on the 58th floor, 600 feet in the air. You see, they had thought that they had laid the foundation deep enough but the foundation only went down to the, the sand layer underneath. It didn't quite get all the way down to the bedrock. Oops. The homeowners um, sued the developers. The developers sued the builders. The builders sued the contractors. The contractors sued the city, who in turn sued the developers again. They, they then started a $100 million retrofit to try to retrofit this building, um, which had to be put on pause when the building started sinking again in the middle of the retrofit. Because, you see, foundation that we build on matters a lot, doesn't it? And today what we're going to be talking about is what is the foundation of our faith in Christ? We're going to look today, uh, you can go to the next slide, why do we need the gospel? Why do we believe the gospel? And why does the gospel transform us? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much for the goodness of your word. I pray that you would make your word clear to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. This section starts off with the word now. Now I would remind you. And each different section that we've looked at in the book of 1 Corinthians starts with this now. But it usually starts off with now concerning 
because it's going to address a certain issue, right? Things that they've talked about, like food sacrifice to idols or head coverings or gifts of the Spirit. But he says here, now I would remind you. So why does he start off with reminding them? What do they need to be reminded about? Well, he wants to say, you keep talking about the thing, right? I want to address this issue. I want to address that issue. How should we act? How should we act? He says, Let, let's talk about the thing behind the thing, right? It's not how you should act. It's what you believe that's behind that, that I want to address. And why do these people need reminding? Well, because the first Corinthians, as we've talked about the past few weeks, are always finding their identity in something, right? They're finding their identity on, uh, in their wealth and in their status, or they're finding their identity on, uh, on their deep knowledge of things, right? Can I eat food sacrificed to idols or not? They're finding their identity in their gender, right? And their sexual identity as they talk about wearing head coverings or marriage status. They find their identity in all of those things. And thankfully, we're not like the first Corinthians, the people in Corinth, right? We don't have to wrestle with that, right? No, of course we do. And we all find our identity in other things as well. You can go to the next slide. What are we tempted to find our identity in? What is the thing for us that, that somehow we manage to work into every conversation, right? Somehow we find ourselves in that conversation. And, and you know what always comes up is work. Or what always comes up is our deep knowledge about these issues. Or what always comes up is, is this thing that we're into or that thing that we're into. Or maybe it's always our kids and we're, all, we're always talking about our, is our kids or our education or our future. What is the thing that, that somehow you can't stop talking about? Because is there something that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's become something that we build our identity on? And maybe it's something that we need to give up. Or maybe even just something that, that needs to have a little bit lower of a position in our life. Because what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, is that our identity is the gospel alone. It says that which, the, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel which you received, in other words, your justification, you received the gospel at this one time, and now that defines who you are. In which you stand, this thing that you stand in every day, the gospel is our endurance. And by which you are being saved, the thing that is in the process of saving us. The, the, another word for that is sanctification. The gospel is the thing that did save us, and it is saving us now, right? It is the basis for identity. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's close in prayer, right? <laughs> so good. Isn't that great? But then, then there's this weird phrase. I don't know if you guys noticed this at the end here. It says, unless you believed in vain. What's that? <laughs> That's kind of unsettling, isn't it? Unless you believed in vain. By, you know, by the way, he kind of says, I mean, but why do you believe the gospel in the first place? What's the foundation of the very gospel itself? And I'll be honest, when I read that, it's a little bit unsettling. It's a little disturbing, isn't it? You kind of go, oh, we're not, we're not supposed to ask those kinds of questions of the Bible, are we? Aren't we supposed to have a childlike faith? Aren't we supposed to just believe these things? Actually, no. The Bible says it's okay to wrestle with these things. Who are the heroes of the faith? People like John the Baptist, who said, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? The people that are heroes of faith are people like Job who said, God, why? 
It's people like Jacob, later, later renamed Israel, who wrestled with God. So if the Bible says it's okay to wrestle with these questions, then it's okay for us to wrestle with these questions too. Amen? Amen. And so we can jump into these things because there are a lot of reasons we could say why we believe the gospel. So let's look at some potential reasons why we believe. You know, I, when I think of why I believe in asking these kinds of questions, it reminds me of, in a strange way, physics. I studied physics in college, and I've read a lot of academic papers. Maybe you guys have read a lot of academic papers, either from your research or in your workplace. I was talking to Ken Brown about this just early, right before the service. All academic papers. And, and there's a surefire way to know how sure an academic paper is. Because people will spend 20 pages telling you that they're right. And then they will say, now I could be wrong. <laughs> right? And some papers will go, now I could be wrong, but don't worry, I'm, I'm not wrong. Let's move on, right? And that kind of is unsettling. That, that makes us go, I don't know if I can really trust this paper. But you can test a strong academic paper when they spend 20 pages telling you that they're right. And then they go, now I could be wrong. In fact, here are five ways that I could be wrong. You know, it could be this issue, but this is how I dealt with that. And it could be that issue, but this is how I dealt with that. And it could be this, and it could be. And by the time they get to the end, you're like, I believe you, stop it, Right? And that's the way that scripture approaches this as well. So what are some of these possible reasons that we can believe? You know, it may be a reason like, for example, well, it helps me get through hard times. Now, does belief in Christ help us get through hard times? Yes, but is that why we believe? Because, you know, you might say, oh, well, I believe because it helps me get through hard times. And you share that with a friend and they, and they go, that's so nice. You found, you say, I found God and it helped me get through hard times. And they go, that's so great. I found a puppy and it helped me get through hard times too. Or maybe it's, you know, it just gives me peace. Now, does it give us peace? Yes, but is that why we believe? Because what happens when we meet somebody that found yoga, right? And then you go, well, I've got five pounds of peace. And they go, that's great because I've got 10 pounds of peace. You go, well, I've got 15 pounds of peace, right? And all of a sudden you find yourself in kind of a peace arms race, ironically, right? That, no, no, that can't be it. Maybe it's that it makes me a better person, right? Well, that's great, but so does this latest self-help book that I've got. Or this app, right? Everybody's got an app. This app helps me become a better person little by little. Well, maybe it's just in case. I'm going, to believe the, I'm going to believe the gospel just in case. It's like fire insurance, right? Hopefully you never need it, but just in case it's there. Well, but I mean, somebody else might go, okay, that's great, but just in case I'm going to sleep in every Sunday morning, right? Well, maybe it's because I love the community. And Christian community is great, but they, I mean, there are a lot of communities out there, right? I mean, try bowling, right? There, there, there are plenty of communities that we can be involved in. Because see, the problem with this is two things. One the problem is, what about when somebody else has these things too? But the second is, what if we don't, right? What if we say, well, I believe this because it gets me through hard times, but what about when you don't feel God's presence? Is God still there? What about when we don't feel God's peace? Is God still there? And it does his peace still matter? What about when it makes me a better person? I mean, let's be honest. What about when you're not becoming a better person? What about just in case, or what about when I love the community, but what about when Christian community lets you down? Because for a lot of these things, the, 
you know, we have to ask, what is that foundation and why do we believe? Because it can't rest on these things. Like the 686 million pound Millennium Tower in San Francisco, what is it resting on that is strong enough to endure the weight of our entire faith in Christ? I remember when I went through this, it was when I went away to college and I went away to college and I met my roommate, Doug. Now, Doug was a pot-smoking hippie, but Doug was a better person than I was. And not only that, he was funnier than I was. And not only that, he was smarter than I was. And my friend Doug would ask me questions. And as he asked me these questions, I had to wrestle with, why do I believe what I believe? And, and sitting in the lounge of Gillette Hall, I had to get to what is the very foundation of my faith in Christ? And that leads many of us to a point of what some people call deconstruction. Have you guys heard that term before, deconstruction? Deconstruction, it's kind of like you're taking a building and, you, and you're taking apart parts of the building. And there's parts of deconstruction that are really good and, and there are parts of it that are helpful and parts of it that are harmful. You know, if you're taking apart a building, kind of like the Millennium Tower and the $100 million retrofit, if what you're doing is trying to take things apart to drill down to get to the bedrock, then it's really beneficial. But if what we're doing is just taking things apart, if we're just asking questions for the sake of asking questions, that's not deconstruction, it's demolition, right? And we have to ask ourselves, are we taking things apart because we want to find the truth? Or are we taking things apart because we want excuses for what we want to believe anyway? And it deals with this in Matthew 7. If you can go to the next slide. In Matthew 7, it says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. You can go to the next slide. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and, the, and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, the point here is, are we, are we listening to apply or are we just listening to ask more questions? And that's really the question that gets put to us is are we listening because we want to apply the things that we learn in Scripture? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Why do we believe what we believe? It says right here in the next section. For I delivered to you as of first importance... In the original language, literally, I gave you the most important thing I've ever received. So we should listen. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You can go to the next slide. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Did you guys catch it there? Why do we believe? What he says here is that it's not about our feelings, it's about the facts. I gave you the most important thing that I ever heard. That what I objectively believed. Why do we believe the gospel? Because it's true, right? 
It's like gravity, right? It's true. We believe it not just because it, it feels a certain way. It's not like it's based on my belief. If I believe it or if I don't believe it, it becomes true or untrue. But like gravity, it's there, right? And we have a choice to believe the truth or not. So you might say, okay, Kyle, that's great. But, but why would I actually believe this truth, <laughs> right? Why would I believe that the things that it's saying in scripture are true? And, and that is a great question. Because I remember wrestling with something like this myself in high school, actually. The first time I really went through kind of this crisis of faith going, uh, you know, why do I believe what I believe is back when I was in high school. And when I was about 16 years old, I grew up maybe like many of you in a Christian family. And I had been around Christianity for a long time. But when I was 16 years old, my friend Ken shared the gospel message with, you, with me. And I had the opportunity to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And when I heard this, part of me went, okay, this is great. But then I go, wait a second, how do I know that this is true? Because there are a lot of things out there, right? Like, how do I know that this is true? And at the same time, I heard of a book called The Case for Christ. Maybe some of you guys have heard of this, but it was new to me at the time. There was a guy who was a Chicago Tribune reporter and his wife became a Christian and he got upset because this guy was an atheist and he thought, well, what, what is this all about? And so as a Chicago Tribune legal reporter, he went about to try to systematically prove that Christianity was not true. And so he went through, he goes, okay, how do we know that the words that are written in the Bible now are the same ones that were written 2,000 years ago? Okay, how do we know that those words that were originally written were the same things that happened? What are the sources inside of Scripture? What are the sources outside of Scripture? And what happened by the end of the book is that this honest atheist became a Christian. And it blew me away because I was like, wait, there, there are reasons to believe Christianity? Wait, this, this is true? And then I, as I started digging, I found an even more surprising thing. This wasn't the first time this had happened. Because 20 years earlier, a guy named Josh McDowell had done something similar. And he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And there was so much evidence. It was like a coffee table, right? This book was huge. In fact, he went on to write kind of the Cliff's Notes version of his own book called More Than a Carpenter. And all throughout history, again and again and again, people have researched and they found there's reasons to believe these things in the gospel. Which means that our faith is not based on just the strength of our belief. It's actually based on the facts. And then if you look, it says here, not only does it say that it's the evidence that came after, but it's actually the evidence that became before Jesus' resurrection. Not just was Jesus resurrected and after that, but even before, where it says this, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What it's saying is this, it's not just the things after, it's the things before. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that specifically talk about Jesus and another almost 300 that refer to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah. That's over 570 prophecies. Have, maybe some of you guys have seen the YouTube video of the science teacher 
that's, uh, that's trying to teach kids uh, science concepts using a bowling ball on a string. Have you guys seen this one? He, he goes into his classroom and he stands up against the wall. He's like, I want to teach you something about gravity and momentum and all these things. So he stands up and there's in the middle, there's kind of a thing hanging in the middle of the wall up on a hook. There's a long rope with a bowling ball and he holds the bowling ball up against his forehead and he says, now I'm going to let go of this bowling ball and it's going to swing over. But we know because of you know, gravity and conservation of momentum and all these kinds of things, it's going to swing back, but it's always going to be not just a little bit farther away. So it's probably going to end up about a millimeter away from my head. Don't worry. And the kids are like, don't do it, don't do it. Oh my goodness, do it, do it, do it. What's going to happen, right? And he goes like this, and then he lets go of the bowling ball, and it swings over, and it swings back, and it stops about a millimeter from his head. And the kids all start freaking out. Oh my goodness, right? They're going to believe anything this guy says, right? Why? Because he predicted what would happen. And the same is true in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament says the Messiah is going to be born and live and die and rise again and it happens, that means we've got to listen to what it says. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the hinge point of our entire Bible and our entire faith in Christ, right? The New Testament, the, the gospel message is that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And that's what the whole New Testament talks about this gospel message. And the whole Old Testament talks about this message. So the resurrection of Jesus is why we believe. So I've got a question. Have we asked the hard questions? You can go to the next slide. Yeah, you can go to the next one after that. Have we asked the hard questions or are we trying to ignore them? Have we taken the time to dig and find real answers to our faith in Christ? Or are we just kind of regurgitating the things that we've heard others say? Because when we take the time to dig, it gives us a firm foundation that changes us, right? It transforms our lives. And that's the very thing that happened to Paul. You can go to the next slide. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11, Paul says this, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul was the last of the apostles to, to see Jesus. And he talks about this in Acts 9. You can go to the next slide. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And look at how Paul responds. And he said, who are you, Lord? He didn't even know who this God was. He didn't know Jesus, but he knew that he was Lord. And that's the way the gospel message transforms us. There are at least three ways. You can go to the next slide and the one after that. that the first is that it puts in us a fear of God. And by fear of God, I just don't, don't just mean being scared of God. I mean realizing God is in charge. I am not. I am not the Lord of the universe. I am not, everything does not revolve around me. It revolves around him. And, and you can tell people that have this well-concerned faith because when they have this kind of faith, they're not shaken. 
When people ask them hard questions, they're not defensive. They know what they believe and they know why they believe it. And, and Paul realizes God is in charge, not him. Secondly, he says, but by the grace of God, uh, excuse me, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. It gives us humility towards other people. When Christ transforms us, we, other people are not competitors, but it gives us humility. And third, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. God's love transforms us and it gives us a firm foundation and it changes our lives and it gives us a supernatural power as we trust him. And so I've got another question for us. You go to the next slide. What are we so afraid of? What is the thing for us that as like Paul is being transformed, our lives are being transformed by the gospel message as well. But that doesn't mean that we still don't have fears, right? What is that, th that fear for you? Is it a fear of finances? Are you worried about security? Because Christ is our security. Are you worried about success? Because Christ is our identity. Are you worried about the opinion of others? Because it's our cure for the fear of man. Are you worried about being alone? Because he's our sufficiency. Are you worried about the future? Because he's the author of our future. Because not only does the gospel message, is it the why we need the gospel message, why we believe the gospel message, but the gospel message transforms us. Because the truth is that God was born and he lived and he died and he rose again and nothing that you and I can say or do can change that. So how are we going to apply this to our lives? I've got three quick things, then we'll wrap up. First off, why do we need the gospel? What are we tempted, as we said before, to find our identity in? Is there something that you need to give up? Is there something that you have been finding your identity in apart from Christ? Secondly, why do we believe? Do you need to do some digging and find some answers? And I don't just mean digging like watching TikTok videos, right? There's truth out there. And we need to do some work, right? You need to get your hands dirty to dig. So I'd recommend a great book, like I mentioned before, More Than a Carpenter is one of my favorites, or Case for Christ, but to do some real research. Because there's not just one or two books out there. There are bookshelves worth. There's an entire field of academic study called apologetics, which means a rational defense of the faith. And third, why does the gospel transform us? Do you need to start relying on Christ? Are there steps of faith that God's calling you to take that you have been holding back on? Are there things that you've been avoiding and what you need to do, like the Apostle Paul, is say, okay, God, you're gonna have to give me your strength. And he, you rely on him and he does it because that's the power that he wants to give to each of us. Because the gospel message is that Jesus was born and lived and died and rose again and there's nothing you or I can do to change that, which means that this fact, we have a choice. We can ignore this and we can go on and live our lives like a human being didn't die and come back to life again, which is the most incredible thing that's ever happened in human history, right? Or we can say, God, forgive me. Forgive me to try, for trying to live life apart from you and transform me into the person that you want me to be. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that you love us, 
enough to die to save us. I thank you that the gospel message is not just good advice, but it is good news. That we can hear you and we can believe. God, I pray that we would make the choice to allow you to transform our lives. I pray, God, that you would come in uh, and that you would transform us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.